0: Hello and welcome to the Green Leads podcast. I'm your host Natalie Rizzo. Today we have on a guest that we've actually had on before. Ginger Holton is a registered dietitian in Seattle. She's the owner of Champagne Nutrition and she is an expert in nutrigenomics which is what we discussed in episode two but she's also written a few books. So she has a new book coming out this week called How to Eat to Beat disease and that is what we talked about on this podcast episode but before I dive into all the things that we chatted about I want to remind you to subscribe if you haven't and leave a rating for this podcast if you've listened before if this is your first time welcome I encourage you to leave a rating at the end it just helps me get this podcast out to more people and I appreciate every single person who hits those five stars or any amount of stars so thanks so much So in this episode, we talked about the body's multiple defense systems against disease. Everyone thinks about the immune system, but we touched on four other systems that also help the body beat disease. Things like DNA health, the microbiome, stem cells, and then even something called angiogenesis. It was really interesting. It sounds very scientific, but Ginger is really good at breaking down science to make it practical so that you can understand it and apply it to your everyday life. So that's what we did. We walked through these different systems. We talked a little bit about her book. And I think you're going to find this really, really interesting, especially if you are interested in immune health. So let's dive right into that episode. Hi, Ginger. How are you? Good. Thanks for jumping on. You're the first Two-time guest, because you have a new cookbook out, How to Eat to Beat Disease. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. I know. Say that three times fast, and you are not going to be able to do it. But it's very interesting, and the things in here are so interesting. You go into basically five different defense systems in the body, which is uh, different than kind of like what most people know, because most people think of just immune system, but we're going to chat through all five of these systems. Yeah, it's, it's interesting.
1: A lot of them are actually interacting with the immune system. But the bottom line is that all the systems in our body
0: are speaking to each other constantly. So it, it is complex, but it's very interesting. And there's systems that I've never even heard of. So you did a ton of research for this book. Can you tell us a little bit about the research you did? Yeah, so, you know, Dr. William Lee
1: wrote is a well known doctor, and he wrote um, a book about how to eat to beat disease. And his book is gigantic, and it has a lot of research, but you know, it's a couple years old now. And so I did a deep dive into what has what great research he was pulling from what's changed since then and I really just wanted to use you know large human studies and just really look at what we do know about how food affects the body and then also do a real how-to and make it into a cookbook but at the end if anybody has questions I literally have pages and pages and pages of all my research is in there so you can absolutely reference it if that's interesting to you.
0: Well, that's what I love about what you do. You you really do a ton of research in everything you put out there, but you make it practical so that people can understand. So with that, we're going to jump into it. And we're going to start with the most obvious because it's going to get more technical and more scientific as we go on. But we're going to make it so that everyone can understand it. But we're going to start with the most obvious defense system, which is the immune system, what everyone knows about. So we think of the immune system as essentially just your defense against disease, but there's also autoimmune diseases. So can you talk a little bit about what the immune system is and how you can strengthen it with food? Yeah, there's so much talk about this right now,
1: especially during the pandemic. And there's all this jargon, like boost your immune system and eat garlic and you'll have a better immune system. And I will say we need to be really careful with that kind of language because it it really is a bit oversimplified. But the fact of the matter is, the foods you eat and the things you do like exercise or sleep well, those things do actually influence your immune system. They might not make or break it because your body has some pretty powerful, uh, powerful things, ways of working intact, right? But vitamins A, E, zinc, B vitamins, D, um, iron, all these things make up the cells in our immune system. And so really, one of the main things you should be doing is eating the types of foods that help those cells to do their jobs. So this is the whole book is about eating to support the systems that are naturally in place.
0: So when you eat those certain vitamins, it is tricky, because right, we're not saying that they'll boost what is already happening. We're just kind of saying it helps the system work properly. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's a really good way to say it. And one of the bottom lines is we mostly want to make sure that we're not deficient in these vitamins. So the biggest problem uh, that shows up in research is if you're deficient. And you might be like, well, you know, I eat pretty well, I'm not deficient. But actually, there's a lot of studies in the US, where people will generally have pretty good access to nutrition, nutritious food. And there are lots of gaps right in children and adults. Vitamin D is a really good example. Iron is another really good example. Many people run low in those nutrients. So if you're deficient, it could really work against you. However, there's not any good evidence that eating more and more and more and taking lots of supplements are going to make your immune system stronger. So getting these from food is a really good option.
0: And I think it's a really good point because people think of vitamin C as the immune boosting of vitamin. And it is, I mean, it contributes a lot to the immune system. I just use the word again, boosting vitamin, but still like it contributes a lot to the immune system, but it's not necessarily the only nutrient that matters. Of course, most people know about scurvy and back when um, sailors didn't have enough vitamin C, they would get really sick, but that's very, very rare. Most people get plenty of vitamin C in their diet.
1: If you eat strawberries or broccoli or bell peppers, those kind of foods, you're probably getting vitamin C. But, you know, some people don't actually eat very many fresh fruits and vegetables. So um, taking tons of vitamin C supplements isn't my suggestion. I do suggest eating those other foods because they actually help many of the systems that I talk about in this book.
0: Okay, so let's talk about another defense system. So we're going to talk about DNA health. And we actually did a podcast about genetics, and nutrigenomics, which everyone should go listen to it's number two. And it was very, very interesting. Um, but when you talk about DNA health or how your genes affect your health, uh, can you talk about that and what foods you can eat that can contribute to DNA health? Yeah. So I love, genetics as you know that podcast i
1: thought was really really fun to do so i hope people will go and check that out because it requires a deep dive to really understand what we're talking about but basically your dna is your genetic blueprint it lives in all of your cells and it codes for you know the way that your body should basically run and as it starts to get older and sort of get degraded through life um it starts to shorten and get damaged. And so we really want to protect the cellular DNA from from having damage done to it. And one of the main ways we can do that is by controlling controlling inflammation. So actually omega-3s, which is like fish oil, uh, flax, seeds, chia seeds, walnuts, those kind of foods are really great sources of omegas. And there is some interesting research about omega threes being helpful for protecting DNA from damage. And then also foods that are rich in antioxidants. So different veggies and green tea and berries and those vibrant colored foods, those actually help protect the caps of your DNA from unraveling. Isn't that wild?
0: Yeah, that is really, it's, it's interesting how food plays such a huge role in your health. I mean, obviously you and I both know this because we're dietitians are always promoting the benefits of food, but it really does have such a direct health to how you age and how you feel as you age.
1: It really, really does. Um, I think sometimes we get a little bit of pushback because, you know, some, some people are like, well, it's not only about the food and that's true, right? It is just a part of it, but it's something that we do three or more times a day, that really does influence us on a cellular level. So it's a, it's a major part.
0: And you talked about inflammation. Are there certain foods you can eat? I know that was your first book. Your first book was the anti-inflammatory cookbook, um, anti-inflammatory meal prep cookbook. Yes. Yeah. Best of both worlds, meal prepping
1: to make your life easier and anti-inflammatory diet.
0: And there are foods that can promote inflammation, uh, right? Can we talk about those foods and how you should kind of maybe stay away from them or can you still eat them? Yeah, you
1: know, I really do like to take a broad approach. So it's not like, oh, I eat, of a you know, certain type of fat once and then I'm going to have inflammation. It really doesn't work like that. It's more about what you're eating on a regular basis, big picture all the time. And if you eat one blueberry or a handful of blueberries, like that's not going to calm your inflammation down. But the way that you eat your dietary pattern over time makes a big difference. And so my anti-inflammatory diet meal prep book is based on whole foods, right? So less processed, more natural foods and really plant-based. So you're gonna see a lot of beans, lentils, fruits, vegetables, whole grains in both of my books because that's what the research shows is most beneficial. So that is really the foundation. If you like eating that way, then you'll really love the recipes in my books
0: plants are really good for everything. They really are. (laughs) Okay. So let's talk about the microbiome. This is another kind of, um, thing that's been thrown out there a lot. I think a lot of people have heard this word more often than not now, but may not truly understand it. How does the microbiome play into overall health and the body's immune system and what foods come into play here?
1: this was a fun thing to write about because I had that this is literally the reason that there's sourdough bread in this book. So what we're looking at with the microbiome, uh, is basically fiber. So fruits, vegetables, whole grains, plant foods. Um, I know you're on that train too. Like that's how you help your folks. Um, and then also fermented foods. So that is the, um, like sauerkrauts and kimchi and uh, kombucha and yogurts of the world and sourdough bread because it's it's made from a, from a fermented starter. So basically when we say the word microbiome, uh, what you're t- referencing is all the good bacteria, the happy bacteria that live in your intestines. And so they do a lot of things. They influence our mood. They make certain vitamins for our bodies. They definitely influence the immune system, they help control inflammation or can also be pro inflammatory. So there's more bacteria in our gut than there are human cells in our body. So it's actually a major ecosystem living inside of us. But we really only started talking about it seriously and been able to study it in recent years. So there's a lot of buzz about it. There's a lot of unknowns, but we do know that foods certainly influence it. Fiber and fermented foods are important for a healthy microbiome.
0: I think they also say seventy percent of your immune system lives in the gut. So those two things kind of go hand in hand: the immune system and the microbiome.
1: They really, really do. Um, that is a great example of how these different systems—they're—they're they're talking to each other. They're not. It's not just like five separate systems. They really do have a lot of interplay.
0: And I also know there's a ton of research on. Uh, just showing the association between having a healthy microbiome and having a lower incidences of certain diseases. What exactly does it mean to have a healthy microbiome?
1: Uh, That's a really great question. You know, they are, there are studies now where you can take a sample from your microbiome and just like look at what kind of bacteria are living there. But right now, I would say the research is still pretty preliminary on what should it be? What is normal? Because you can get big differences, you and I have a different gut microbiome, but is one better than the other or not? Like, research is still trying to figure that out. But what we do know is more diversity, like different types of bacteria living there and being fed with these types of healthy foods, that seems to be beneficial.
0: So kind of like nutrients in foods, you kind of want the same thing from the bacteria you're consuming, you want a varied diet because it contributes to better overall health, essentially.
1: Exactly. And plant foods seem to make the microbiome really happy. So that creates better outcomes, which is what some research is showing is that more plants, less animal foods that is good for the microbiome.
0: And there are a lot of plant-based foods that people, I always say there are more advanced plant-based foods, <laughs> things like tempeh. Um, I say that's a more like advanced level because a lot of times if people are new to plant-based eating, they're, just trying out things like tofu and not really sure if they like it and tempeh is a fermented soybean so sometimes if you buy it you'll see it has little black almost curds in it and that's the fermentation and that's what feeds the good bacteria so things like tempeh and then miso and like you said sauerkraut which unfortunately people don't eat sauerkraut every day so you kind of have to get like a bunch of these foods over time. You know, what's so funny
1: is a lot of people that I talk to, they're like, oh, I love sauerkraut. That's good for you. I should eat more of it. So in this book, I really try to highlight just the foods that you probably already really enjoy. You might not have known the benefit. So all of a sudden it's showing up in the, the chart that I have in there. I have this big table to show you which foods are healthy. I have meal plans that show you how to put them together. And then I have 75 recipes in there. So I really try to weave them in in a way that's really easy.
0: And if you were one of those people over COVID who started a sourdough starter, apparently that's going to be helpful for you. You could cook something from Ginger's book. I never would have the patience or ability to do that. I could probably just go buy some sourdough bread, but that is good for you. It's not something you have to stay away from.
1: It really is um, a very amazing food. And it's really fun because I reached out to some experts to help me on my quest to write this book. You know, I have done the whole sourdough thing, but I don't consider myself a true expert. I have a friend that owns a bakery. It's called Borrowed Kitchen Bakery, and she makes bread every single day of her life and sells it. It's amazing. So I reached out to a real baker and got her actual input on like how to write this in a very easy and approachable way. So that was really fun to get that kind of input.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Did you do a sourdough starter? Yeah, 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 I grew it. And, um,
1: you know, like, we had to keep our house not too cold. And we tested it every day. And it it worked really well. And I will say the sourdough pancakes in this book, that recipe is incredible and definitely worth making the sourdough starter.
0: Okay, maybe I'll, I probably will. But maybe I'll Maybe I'll try it. I can't even imagine in a New York City apartment, like, where do you put the sourdough? It's just like there out on my table for people to look at. And it's just fermenting and smells, but, but I would buy sourdough bread. All right.
1: You can definitely go that route.
0: I, I will tell you that
1: you can go down rabbit holes with all of this being very complex. And in the book, I cut Corners and made it very easy, so it's extremely approachable.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that about. That's what you do is you kind of just make it so you put all this research into this, and then you're kind of just telling people, "Here is what you got to do." I did the research for you. Here's what you got to make, uh, and you you touch upon another topic that is pretty complicated, but I'm going to make you talk about it. it. It's stem cells. So what exactly are stem cells and how do they play into overall health? I think this is something that people have heard the word, but they don't necessarily know what it means.
1: Yeah. Um, a lot of people might be familiar with the term like stem cell transplant. So if somebody like one type of cancer treatment, if someone's going through cancer, um, in some cases will get of stem cells given to them from a family member or someone they don't know, and that's part of their treatment. Um, so that's one way that we use stem cells kind of in, in common language. Uh, you you know, one way that I describe it is like red blood cells, right? They have a shelf life, they live for about three months. Well, then what happens? They regenerate, right? So we have these little, these stem cells, and they're the root, the stem of different cells in the body. So you're able to regenerate you know, um, heal cuts or, you know, your, your gut, like your intestines, they turn over pretty quickly, or, you know, again, blood cells, everything in your body is, is making more of itself. If you get a blockage around your heart, your body can actually work around that blockage to keep blood flow moving. So stem cells are constantly working, even in the adult body. And of course, in children, they're helping with growth. So we really want to support those cells. And um, I think we don't talk enough about them. They're very interesting.
0: How does someone... Do Do people have different... Um... I'm not even sure how to ask this. Do some people have healthier stem cells than other people? Or is it everyone the same? You know, like if I cut myself and I don't have any sort of clotting issue and you cut yourself and you don't have any sort of clotting issue, are we both going to be okay? Or is one person healthier than the other when it comes to stem cells?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question an interesting example, because, you know, if you cut yourself, you need your stem cells to come and you need them to help with regeneration. But you also need like your immune system to help you and you need your inflammatory system to help you. So there's always multiple systems working to heal the body, which is so incredible. But beyond genetic natural differences, you just really do want to have the healthy types of nutrients on board that can help you heal yourself when you need, right? So if you're having like a surgery or you do cut yourself or you have a bruise or break, stem cells are going to be needed to, to change, um, change that tissue and support the body. So really what we're looking at, um, a lot of similarities to what I've said before, Antioxidants, so those brightly colored foods and berries and green tea and green vegetables, those are really excellent as the building blocks of stem cells and then also omega omega threes. So that's why actually I have a chapter on seafood in this book because it's such a rich source of omega threes and that shows up again and again, even in stem cells.
0: Obviously, good nutrition contributes to everything, really. Okay, so last system we're going to talk about. This was a word I had never even heard before. It's called angiogenesis. Can you tell me what that is? Yeah. Uh, I talk about angiogenesis
1: a lot, actually. And the reason for that is because I'm a cancer expert. And in cancer care, angiogenesis is like a major buzzword. And so what happens is um, if you have abnormal cells or like a cancer tumor, uh, those cells are very greedy. And so they will create, their own blood supply. So cancer cells are are tricky and greedy and they will need to get blood flow so that they can keep growing. So that's an example of angiogenesis. Like it's blood vessel formation basically but you don't want to be feeding cancer cells. And so you don't want angiogenesis happening excessively or in the wrong way and on the other hand like um, diabetes is an example a lot of what I'm talking about in the book is chronic disease related so with diabetes sometimes blood flow is cut off to certain parts of the body especially the feet or legs and you can have issues with blood vessel formation and that's when you get like chronic you know sores or issues and you can't get blood, flow to, to heal your healthy tissues. So if you have too much angiogenesis, which is blood vessel formation, or you don't have enough, you can really have a lot of um, pretty dangerous conditions.
0: But you want to have an optimal amount, like angiogenesis is a necessary biological process.
1: It absolutely is. And I think sometimes, especially in cancer care, we use it like, I don't want angiogenesis. I don't want angiogenesis. Um, I think the better way to think of it is you just want it to be regulated correctly. And so foods like green tea, tea shows up a lot actually is very beneficial because it has so many antioxidants. Soy foods, we were talking about tempeh and tofu, those seem to be helpful with regulating angiogenesis. And again, all the different herbs and spices and foods that have um, a lot of antioxidants, they seem to help the body regulate this pretty incredible system.
0: I may be completely off the mark here, but when you're talking about blood, I also think of iron. Is it related at all?
1: A lot of the foods in this book, they are really rich in different vitamins and minerals, including iron, zinc, selenium. So while I don't talk about individual nutrients very much in the book, it is a part of the body's processes and how they work. So it's not like an explicit discussion, but it is part of this very nutrient dense diet.
0: It's all very interesting. And it's interesting how these five systems kind of work together. Like if, if one system is out of whack, is that going to cause disturbances in your immune health?
1: Um, Yeah, you know, like if your microbiome is compromised, then there is evidence that that can cause different diseases, or it can be like hurt your immune system, for example, or if you've got an autoimmune condition, if your immune system is running too high and, and, and out of sync, then you can definitely have like inflammation going on and that can cause issues. So it's a pretty delicate balance. And so one thing that I focus on in the book is like, how do you create a really nice overview of your diet, where you're eating nutrient dense foods on a regular basis to really help your health long term.
0: And that's what I was kind of going to ask you is, what's the bottom line here, really, when it comes to how to eat to beat disease, I think you're gonna say it's a well balanced diet over time, which is essentially what we say for most things. Um, But do you have any things that you'd want to point out when it comes to the nutrition? Yeah, you know, I think we get really caught up in like I need to eat more
1: blueberries or if I drink green tea every day I'll be okay but I just really need people to pull out and say oh it's actually my oatmeal too and my cruciferous veggies like my broccoli and you know my omega 3s like it is the big picture and so every day all day you have different opportunities to feed these systems and we should be looking at more unprocessed foods and we should be looking at more plant foods as the foundation of the diet do you have to be perfect absolutely not. But generally your diet should be based in unprocessed whole foods and that will help your health.
0: I'm glad you brought up processed foods because I feel like I've been getting a lot of questions lately about certain foods that I wouldn't consider processed that other people do. For instance, uh, yogurt, you know, your that's kind of, you know, it's, it starts from milk. It's not necessarily comes out of the cow like that or canned beans or things like that. Um, Obviously, when I think of processed foods, I think of things like chips and sauces, bottle things that didn't grow from the earth. But things like or tofu or tempeh that are kind of made into something else but are more plant based. What do you think of that? Like, that's kind of, I, I don't find that to be processed.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad you brought this up. I actually try hard. And I I missed it this time, but I try hard to use the word either highly or ultra processed. And when you use those kind of words, that to me indicates something that is shelf stable, will last 10 years on the shelf, um, has often added sugar and fat, stabilizers, colors, flavors, and the ingredient list is very long and chemical based. If you pick an apple from a tree, like or and you cut it like that is a type of processing, but it still is pretty similar to how it began. Tofu and tempeh, I would say are not highly processed foods. Even like jarred tomato sauce, you know, it's not, doesn't have additives far from where it started. And if it does have ingredients added, they're whole foods based. So I really am looking more at ultra processed foods as being a bigger issue.
0: Yeah, and I also think that there's a lot of misconceptions because people have been told for so long to shop the perimeters of the store, which is set essentially as fruit and vegetables. And we're not telling people to just eat fruit and vegetables. You can still have dry lentils. You can have canned beans. I mean, you can have chips if you want them every once in a while. We're just saying that you have to Try to limit those types of foods and eat more of the kind of like whole foods. When you look, if it is in a package and you look at the ingredients, it's one or two ingredients, but people don't really have to guess because they can get your book and look at what you recommend in here. Yay. (laughs) How to eat to beat disease. I am matching this book because I love it so much. (laughs) Now there's really, really cool recipes in here. I'm actually going to make some of them. I'm excited for you. Thanks. I, I really,
1: I really just ultimately want this to help people to make this complex science more clear and to feel like they understand how to eat, to be healthy. And they have a clear guide. That's really, really what I want to happen.
0: And people can find you on social media. I know you have two different platforms, right? Cause you're the, you have the cancer private practice, and then you also have champagne nutrition. So can you tell people about those two different things since we talked about both of them?
1: Yeah, so I'm champagne nutrition, have been for a long time. Um, I'm on every social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, all that. And really the premise behind that is you can drink champagne and eat foods that you love, but still be healthy. So that's approach that I take in my books. And I help a lot of people that, you know, um, have questions about inflammation or their health in general or hormone balance or autoimmune diseases or just want to feel better or want to be prep. I help that kind of person. And then I also have a kind of a subspecialty of cancer. I've worked in cancer care for a long time. I'm an integrative cancer specialist, which can be kind of hard to find. So I help people all over the country um, as Seattle Cancer Nutritionist. I work virtually so I can talk to people all over the place. And really, people come to me you know, in treatment or when they're recovering from treatment with high-level questions and often advanced or challenging cases. And I help walk them through that.
0: Well, thanks so much for being on. And like I said before, Ginger was on on episode two, talking about nutrigenomics. So if you're interested in the DNA health at all, we had did a full episode on it. It was super enlightening for me. There was a lot to learn there just essentially about how nutrition affects your genes. And uh, actually my mom said to me, how do you pronounce that word? She's listening to my podcast and I told her nutrigenomics. So I think it's something that people have not heard about. It's interesting and they should go back and listen.
1: Thank you for having me. This was really fun. I'm so honored to be on twice. Your podcast has been very amazing. I love listening to it.
0: Oh, thanks, Ginger. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleads or visit my website at greenleets.com.